Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes. Something for your mind. Okay, so thank you everyone for joining episode four of Callum Hughes Presents Creative Minds. I'm joined by Howard Boyle, who is owner of Ibiza Unlocked, which is, I'm sure many would agree, have used the service. A five-star concierge service offers VIP, uh, villas, yachts, basically unlocking unprecedented access to Ibiza. Um, also a man who's probably known to the older generation for his legendary Helvis tribute act and even built part of the infamous manumission motel. So, first of all, uh, thanks very much for joining live and direct from your villa in the beautiful Ibiza. How, how are things over there at the moment? How are you keeping as well? Well, thank you very much, Callum, for a fantastic introduction there. That was very, very, uh, very kind of you. Um, everything is good. I'm just at home, just got back from uh, doing some work, and the uh, island is now li- uh, lifting the restrictions. We've gone into what they call phase two. So the beaches opened on Monday. Um, you, you can go to the beaches, but you can't congregate with more than 10, 15 people. You've got to wear face masks. That's obligatory everywhere on the island now, We're all across Spain. Yeah. So everywhere you walk, it's like being in Asia. So the, the masks are everywhere. So there's going to be some interesting tans this summer for sure. I can, I can imagine. Overall, it's, just, overall, it's good. Yeah, overall, it, it's good. The island only had 165 cases, something like that, uh, with only 12 uh, fatalities, which is obviously sad, but um, they were all older with uh, underlying conditions. So the island didn't really get hit that bad. Well, that's encouraging anyway. And I suppose that ne- that draws the next question uh, before we delve into what, what you do with Ibiza Unlocked. How... Do you see the season faring out this year? I suspect compared to your normal line of work and what you normally see from May till October, it's probably going to be very different this year, isn't it? It's going to be very different. But as from like two weeks ago, uh, myself and everyone else in my situation, which is pretty much the whole island, because the whole island depends on tourism, pretty much 85% of the GDP is based on tourism and all of the cottage industries that come off of that. So without tourism, the Balearics are really screwed. So up to two weeks ago, everyone was like, well, we're not going to have a summer. They're just going to allow the Spanish tourism, domestic the domestic market, um, which is a completely different demographic. Uh, so a lot of uh, the high-end villas and uh, the higher-end hotels would not be occupied. And then the Balearic government and I think some of the mainland, you know, the Costa del Sol and those kind of areas really put pressure on the mainland, uh, the central government, sorry, I should say, um, to open it up to international tourism. So all of a sudden the president announced it uh, two days ago. Yeah. So international tourism is allowed. I think that... Um, I think that the British market might take a bit of a hit because the the uh, you know the, the numbers were so high in the UK as we know. Yeah. But um, what would be ideal is testing both sides, but I don't think that's realistic. Yeah. I think that we've got to just open the doors and uh, hope for the best, really. Yeah. Well, f- fingers crossed. Anyway. Um, 
I mean, just just before we go um, further into your antics over the years on on the island, when I first came across you on the socials, I saw that you've been a resident on the island and and quite a well-known infamous figure for probably over 20 years now. So I wanted to go right the way back. Uh, So where did it all begin for you? Was it a case of moving there straight away permanently or did you do what most do and have a few brief stints and then you just fell in love with the island and you decided to move out there permanently? What year did it all really start for you? Well, it all started for me in June of 's that's the best way though when when you plan it never turns out as well as you hoped but sometimes you have to make those you know off off the wall fly decisions and then you know see see how it fares and I think that that I'm probably the same as well when when you're young and you know if you've got no partner and no kids and there's nothing really keeping you there's a whole world out there to explore and you don't know what's going to be there or what doors are going to open unless unless you try Kevin Randall, uh, Kevin Randall 
was involved. He was he was the main policeman, uh, and they used to walk around the parking tickets and sort of like slap them on people, say, "You've been caught girding in a non girding zone." It was kind of like this comedy kind of act they had going on, and uh, they had a ritual where they used to walk back from privilege every every uh, Tuesday morning after uh, after the club closed. So anyway, they they, they invited me along and. Um, we had a bit of an adventure, let's say, walking through the countryside all the way back to San Antonio. And then we got to Bar M, which is Bar and Mission at the time, and uh, we, we, we jumped into the sea and we swam out to the nearest boat and we're climbing up the ropes trying to get on this boat. This guy, was, everyone was dressed in fancy dress, this guy came off the boat and went, right, I'm taking you back to shore. So he got his, his little rib out, took us back to shore. He, he, he saw the funny side of it, thank God. So anyway, off the back of that, like, everyone was on the beach laughing and cheering and it was just a real funny moment. And uh, the manager of the entertainers happened to be there called Dorian, Dorian Payne, if you're listening, Dorian, the best. And uh, he said, you should have a job with us. And I was like, well, I'd love to have a job with you guys. So I turned up for the work meeting the week later. And they said, how have you forgot about you? You're going to go to the UK. I thought you disappeared. Haven't seen you all week. I said, no, no, no. I said, I was going to come back. I was an hour late for the work meeting, so they give all the costumes out. He said, I don't think I've got anything for you. I was like, well, okay, I'll do anything. I remember rummaging through that box, rummaging through this box, one costume left in the box, pulled it out, and it was an Elvis Presley costume. <laughs> and that is how Elvis, H-E-L-V-I-S, was born. Um, a lot of people don't really know that story. That's how it come about. It's just a random thing. I've had sideburns most of my life, but they... They got enhanced because of uh, because of my role as Elvis for sure. That that's insane. I, I just assumed that maybe because of the slight uncanny resemblance, it it's maybe something that you did here in the UK, and then you thought, oh, I can make a few quid, win him an Ibiza. But the fact that it happened so ra- <laughs> the fact that it happened so randomly, I think that's what makes it all the more amusing and makes the journey even more special. The fact that it wasn't forced. It just, that was the last costume in the box, and there you go, mate, crack on, see how you get on. It was, uh, it was a wild ride, and um, uh, I went back a year after. So much happened in 
department section. So what I thought I'd do is I'd reenact that. So I'd be wheeled out on the toilet, eating a cheeseburger, have a pretend heart attack, get caught to the roof of privilege, and then bungee jump back down with angel wings on. So I went back to Andy McKay, my old boss, and said, this is my idea. So we practiced it. And, uh, and it went down well. And we've done it every Monday night. And, uh, yeah, it went down really, really well. And off the back of that, people like Jamera Choir were in the crowd. I got to know him off the back of that. Went on tour with him. Opened his world tour in 2001 in Barcelona. Got friendly with Norman Cook through the manumission and motel days, which they good friends since then. Went on tour with him. Done a big gig with him. So I've done loads of gigs around the world, of New York with Alex and Aguilera, and sorry, I don't want to drop too many names, but it's difficult to, to not when I'm telling you the story. And then um, I killed Elvis off in 2004 in, uh, in Rio with, with Norman, with Fat West Slim, in front of, I think there's 475,000 people there. And I nearly fell off the stage. <laughs> I literally nearly fell off the stage. I ran out of stage. I was a bit I, I, overexcited running onto the stage and just like, whoa. I can imagine it is easy to get carried away though because I like how humble you are but it it is difficult not to name drop when you think you know I I went out to Ibiza on the off chance this costume got picked up I thought I thought of this elaborate idea for the Helvis tribute act and then you end up becoming friends with your likes of Jamiroquai, Fatboy Slim and you do have to take a step back and you think how did I get here? It's almost mind blowing when when you think about it, isn't it? It, it is, and um, you know I was just flagging it really, and I've got to be honest with you and anyone that's watching. I'm actually quite possibly the worst Elvis impersonator ever. ever. I was like, no, it's the clubland Elvis, and my, my role was normally to introduce a, a band or a DJ like in, in between kind of breaks, kind of thing, but. Um, a couple of other memorable things, uh, gigs I did was uh, the 12th anniversary of Space with Eric Brillo. I got some cool photographs of that that I just dug out on a hard drive. Um, so I sang Happy Birthday to Space on the Terrace. That was pretty cool. Eric Brillo would come on straight after. Um, DC 10, done DC 10 closing party in 2001. Uh, stage dived into the crowd and that was super cool. And then one of the most funniest was... Um, with Garland, and I have to say, God, God rest his soul, uh, recently died Dave Booth, so big, big tribute to him, well-known DJ from Manchester, massively involved with Garland's, he was actually fundamental in, in, in giving um, the Stone Roses, who I'm a big fan of, uh, a leg up in the early days, and uh, he was noted for that. Anyway, so um, they got me to do this thing where I was flying around uh, uh, the island on a microline, and uh, I'd fly in and... Um, we, we were flying around, and so I'm strapped to this pipe, and no one can see him. They can just see a flying Elvis. I actually done this twice. I don't know if DC10 as well, but that's another story. And then um, we were flying, and all of a sudden there was too many people on the beach. The security was trying to keep the people off the beach so we could land at Canyon. This was um, uh, Canyon Bar in San Antonio, the Garland's Park, 2001. Brandon and Alex were DJ. Anyway, there was too many people on the beach. So the pilot started panicking, the engine started spluttering, we ended up landing on the roof, hit the roof, fell into the car park, all twisted up in the uh, parachute. <laughs> and then they come and got me, the security untangled me, and threw me up on the, uh, 
cocktail bar route and uh, another little turn, suspicious minds with Brandon and Alex. So that was a funny one. I mean, look, there's been some funny times, of course, but also I'm going to write a book one day. It's going to be the roller coaster diaries. It's all about these ups that I'm talking about. But of course, there's always downs. It's not always. It's like Facebook. Everyone promotes themselves and the good lie and you know doing this and here's me with this person or I'm doing this and blah blah blah. No one ever posts the bad so what I wanted to do is highlight the fact that, for example, when I've done that big gig with Norman in, in Rio, 475,000 people, four days later, I was back in Brighton, back on a building site, labouring, <laughs> <laughs> knocking up cement. And uh, that was a uh, proper character building, let's put it that way. So that's happened to me a couple of times. You know, after the Jamiroquai gig, within 10 days, I was back building, so I've always done a bit of carpentry and labouring in those days, you know. So it's about the ups and downs and about sort of like being grounded in that, you know, being grounded in, in the fact that, you know, there is us, there's massive downs, but being okay with it. Of course, I was okay, but I'd like cry into a bucket of cement. <laughs> but, but, you know, character builds all the same. Definitely. So, yeah, I think that was a really good point, though, that you made. It's the importance of, you know, portraying to people that although you've had these amazing times and unbelievable stories where, you know, people would think, oh, my God, you're, li- you're living this incredible life. But at the same time, e- even if you are living that life all of the time, it's like, you know, your likes of... Um, you know, Norman, uh, Fatboy Slim and, you know, people like Eric Murillo have have openly stated how even if you are living that life all the time, there's going to be the downs because there's the, the party and lifestyle with the dependency on alcohol or drugs and, and the lack of sleep and everything else. Obviously, yours is more the case of, you know, you're going on tour with them, but then because that wasn't probably bringing in sufficient enough of an income, you still have to go back and earn money so at the same time it is it is a reality check and I think that will be really good for a lot of the younger generation and and people who spend a lot of time on social media because they obsess so much about image and they look into these people's lives and assume that you know these people are living this you know this faultless lifestyle and there's no issues when you could be a millionaire and and living this five-star lifestyle and still have problems underneath the surface Uh, not, not the kind of gig I do. 
Um, and then I had one really strange gig, and it was from a friend of mine. And, and she said, oh, I'd like to go and told you this. My mother's the manager of the, of the, the director of a mental institution, and they're having an open day, and they've got some performers coming in. They would love you to come down and do a term. They don't know where near them. Imagine that, I won't get out of there. I'll be stuck there with a, a rhinestone bloody straight jacket or something. Stuck in one of the panic rooms. So when I was getting calls like that, I was sort of knocked it on the air. So Elvis is dead. Um, I killed him off, but then I kind of went back to college. I went to be known to be serious. I sort of kind of shake off the clown uh, actor. So I went back to college, got my carpentry um, qualification, went on the road doing that, didn't enjoy it. Ended up uh, travelling around the world, went to South America, went to uh, uh, Australia and, uh, and Asia, yada, yada, yada. Come back, and then I realised that I was better you know, promoted than I was than uh, working with my hands. So I ended up in five places selling property. And then um, 2015 come around, New Year's Day, I was like, right. I'm out of it. In fact, my ex-fiance at that time said, look, I'm out of Dubai. You know, it's not for, it's not for either of us. And I was like, right, so let's go. So moved back to Ibiza in 2015 full-time. Because when I was in the old Elvis days, it was from 1998 to 2003, just for the summer season. So I'll come back to 2015 with the idea of setting up a company. It didn't have a name. It didn't have IP for us, just a name at that time. It was just a business plan that I had ready to go. So uh, that was it. I, I learned a lot in Dubai from real estate and then brought uh, it over here and set up my refund lunch. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey. That's good. And I think that the good thing is as well is as well as learning the more professional side of your work by going out to Dubai and educating yourself with the real estate, it's the fact that when you travel so much or you, you don't even necessarily have to travel the world but I think the more open-minded you are and the more humble and you know the more welcoming you are to to other cultures you, you educate yourself more in life in general so then a lot of the work you do now it involves you being a people person more than anything if you're able to build those relationships and you know be down to earth and show people a good time you're more likely to strike up business that way rather than being, you know, some uptight individual. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's important to build relationships. I mean, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, everywhere in the world, but they're smash and grab. I call them the smash and grabbers. And what can I get from that person or that situation very, very quickly, in and out, boom, gone. Building long-term relationships without trying to get something all the time is the key to, to, to being successful and also building your life, not just your business, but around integrity. Because you're, I always say your, your, your name can be decimated at a dinner party, yeah? If you do wrong, wrong to someone, they say, oh, don't use Howard, I'd be my lucky to this, that 10 people, but they send another 10 people. So I've always kept, uh, kept it respectful, never, never done anything wrong to anyone. And I built the company around the context that I made over the years, especially from a beat in the early days. And, you know, the likes of Norman, again, sorry to keep mentioning his name, but it is what it is. Um, you know, he got a call from Julian Temple about uh, doing film. He, he got the, um, the, the gig to do the score, well, the musical director, let's say, of A Beef for the Silent Movie. 
he in turn introduced me to Julian Temple, and obviously Julian Temple was the director. He was known as a rock and roll documentarian for many years, famous for making films with Sex Pistols and uh, David Bowie and um, all of these all of these people. And um, the last ten years, he's, he's been what we call a poet of place. So he makes documentary films about places. So he's done one about London, uh, the modern day Babylon, London, the modern day Babylon. He's done one about Rio. Uh, I don't want about uh, Cuba called uh, Habaneros. I don't want about a vehicle called a vehicle side of movie. So I was introduced to the director to be a fixer, just to kind of like, you know, open some doors, so to speak, and sort of get access and locations and stuff. And um, then I ended up sort of moving on with that and kind of one of the producers on the ground. And um, I also brokered a couple of the archive footage deals with Bill Silcock, who I mentioned earlier, he's got some fantastic footage of the old That's all good then. So, yeah, welcome back, everyone, to technically episode five of Callum Hughes Presents Creative Minds with Howard Boyle <laughs> from Ibiza Unlocked. So we were just talking earlier on about the success of the business since its inception and how really you've always stayed true to yourself in terms of your morals and, and, and the integrity. And I think that the foundations of that and you referred to the fact earlier on, even though you, you know, probably letting loose a lot more, a bit more wild back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you probably still are now in, in the right environment. But all those contacts you built earlier on, you know, maintaining that relationship and not just because I, I see it time and time again now. And that's something that I always preach to people, you know, even though people can turn around and say, oh, you're only 25. But what do you know is I see it a lot, even from people that are much older than me, is they, they will they will use people for their own, normally financial gain and advantage, and then they'll burn the bridges as soon as they've obtained what they wanted. And I think, yeah, some people, that might pay off for them in the short term, but it, I just don't agree with it. It's just not the way to be, and it catches up with you in the end as well, if you're like that with people. Yeah, of course, of course. No, yeah, like, especially here, it's a small island, and... Um... I mean, look, you've got a million and one of everything, a million and one yogis, a million and one photographers, a million and one messages, 250 million concierge and real estate agents on the island. So um, so you've got to kind of stand above the rest where you can. So I've done super duper promotional videos with uh, Jody and Luke at um, Ego Media. I want to say special thanks to those guys. done some fantastic, really cool like, villa promotional videos and stuff. Um, you have to leverage other people, other people's contacts. You have to collaborate. Um, I see it almost every year. People come off the plane, I'm going to take over Ibiza. Doesn't happen. Ibiza naturally shows them the door within 12 months. So you're going to come here and you're going to look at it, for want of a better analogy, as a, as a, as a big pizza, this is going to sound a bit stupid, 
but you've got to take the slice for yourself and leave a little bit for the next guy because that's how it works. You have to collaborate. And I mean, you find, after a while, you find the right people to collaborate with. It's like a filtering system. You've got to have some bad experiences. So for anyone who's thinking about coming over it, I'd say do it. Um, you know, reach out to a few people on the island, get some advice. I'm happy to give some advice to, to people where I can. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, years ago when I first came in, 1998, I used to look at the older people that were here since 88, 89, 87, and they were all saying, oh, it's not like it used to be. And I used to think, pissed off you old fogies. <laughs> you know, like, we're the young blood now, you know. And um, But now I know what they mean in the sense because I think it was Danny Whittle corrected me or, or, or corrected someone else, and I saw it, and it was a very interesting point. You know, people say, those were the days. Those were our days, yeah? Those were our days where we had that mad time and it was that golden era. For our time, you know, there's people younger younger now that are having their golden era. It's their time, you know? So I think it, it's all subjective, really. I mean, of course, we were very lucky because, you know, we caught the tail end of the clubs not having roofs on stuff like that, space without a roof, DC 10 without a roof, as you saw in the footage that I sent you as well. And, um, you know, golden era down at the base bar, I was... I was uh, the host down at the, the, the base bar with Jason Ball. Big shout out to Jason, Tony Baloney, and Stevie Lee. Special shout out to Stevie Lee and Tony Baloney because they used to stack away the tables and chairs at the end of the night. So um, it was a good work with those guys. <laughs> I know they're listening in, so I've given them a little dig. Um, but um, going back to, to you know people coming out here and thinking about coming out here to work, it's, it's tough. It's hard. It's, it's a... It's a, it's a uh, an economy based on tourism, based on a five month, uh, a five months of the year to make your money to make the rest of the year work. But like a friend said to me, don't you get bored out there in the winter? No, I'm, I'm always busy in the winter. I'm planning for the summer. But I'm also managing villas. That keeps you really busy. You know, you always dealing with something with builders, pool cleaners, and yada 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 renovations. And it keeps you really busy. But like I said to my friend, it's like I'd rather hustle in the sunshine in a place where I want to be. In a nutshell, because you've got to hustle in London, Liverpool, Leeds, whatever. You've got to hustle. You've got to hustle anywhere in the world. So I'd rather hustle where, where I am. And ultimately, for me, I have a deep, deep love for this island, like most people do. But when I left here in 2003, I always regretted it. And I was kind of like looking across the water into a beef. And I come back every year on holiday, but then eventually I always knew that I was coming back. So I lived back in my hometown, Brian, lived in London. Lived in Dubai, lived in Barcelona, sorry, Barcelona, then Dubai, and then I was like, right, I'm going home. And I knew home being the big, I knew that Dubai was a stepping stone for me to come back to my spiritual home. And I've got no regrets. I wake up every morning and I'm, and I'm, and I'm grateful, you know. I'm grateful and I'm thankful, but I'm also aware that I've put a lot of hard work in. It, it doesn't land in my lap. Exactly, and I think that's a really good point as well. It's that, you know, Ibiza is like most places in the world. There are opportunities there, but it won't happen overnight. You know, you, you need to build the right contacts. You need to put yourself out there and you need to be willing to do jobs that you may not necessarily like at first in order to earn your stripes and then get the bigger opportunities later on. Is Because he, he, even now, like some of the opportunities I'm, I'm lucky to have in Birmingham is I've I've done the work where... You know, I still do it now. Ticket scanning. There's nothing wrong with ticket scanning. You know, it's a job at the end of the day. It pays you a wage. If 
if I if I needed to clean a toilet backstage so that an artist could use the toilet properly, it doesn't bother me getting my hands dirty. There's plenty of ways to learn respect. And I think that's the problem now is people want all the glory for the image and they don't want to be seen to be doing a job that's apparently degrading. But it's like, yeah, but people say to me, oh, do you reckon you could sort me a job backstage or looking after artists or something like that? And it's like, mate, it doesn't just get given to you. Like you, you've got to earn your stripes in, in many different ways before before that happens and i think the sooner people realize that the better is it, it takes years it doesn't doesn't just happen in a couple of weeks you, you you're right Callum. you hit the nail on the head i mean i'll give you an example of that and you go a good example for, from yourself is um i'd obviously client confidentiality so i can't say any names but i yacht come in your client come in um, I was asked by the captain to meet um, <clears throat> one of the best, obviously, mooring right outside the, the, the Leo, uh, which everyone wants, you know, everyone's fighting over that spot. So I managed to, to, to get it because I've got a good relationship with the harbour master through my, my big front of your services department, which again is me, 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 and me <laughs> at the moment, you know, uh, just building things. And, um, <clears throat> and basically, I, I, I farm a lot of stuff out just to keep things simple. You work again with clever, clever with third-party companies, like catering companies, and yada yada yada. Uh, um, so basically, this boat coming, I was asked to meet the owner of the boat, very wealthy, super wealthy billionaire guy, and just shake his hand and explain to him what the best option was to go to that night. Was your best option tonight is Passion. We shook hands, so I'll be back in an hour to pick you up. We'll go to Passion. Two seconds later, I'm literally walking along the marina. The captain's calling me, screaming down the phone, get back, get back. One of the guests is having a seizure. So basically, I go back to the yacht. I managed to get an ambulance there within like 50 seconds. Boom, there's an ambulance there. And I'm told to go in the ambulance with the wife, with the mother of the child. It was, it was, it was, it was 21, but he had some kind of seizure. So I'm in the back of the ambulance going up to A&E here on the island. And we go into a and I'm sitting there, and the kids has gone straight, the guy's gone straight to a comb, all tubes over him and everything. The captain called me back an hour later, I've got to go back to the yacht, pick up the rest of the guests, they still want to go to Pasha. So one minute I'm in A&E, next minute I'm in VIP Pasha. So it's like just a roller coaster ride of, of emotions and, and, you know, wow. So um, based on that, <clears throat> the, uh, the owner of this yacht, called the captain said i want your guy to look after some guests that are coming back uh to the island but they weren't nothing to do with the boat and i was waiting for this call all winter yeah because he's one of my biggest clients and i said fantastic what's the dates the same dates as glastonbury weekend and i was there for the world premiere of my beef for the silent movie with norman um julian temple ben was there the whole thing i the best passes that come around once, once in a lifetime, you know, that, that rocking horse shit, there's these passes, you know. And uh, I was able to go back for 24 hours to see the premiere, celebrate. We worked hard on it. And then I had to get on a flight back to a beef. I landed, driver picked me up straight home, shower. I had all my clothes ready to go. Within 15 minutes, I was in passion with his guests. <laughs> So it was kind of like a roller coaster ride, and I had to do it because, again, it's going back to relationship building. And um, and then uh, my friend with the engineer of that yacht, he called me out of the blue a couple of months ago. He said, Did you see what you did? It was amazing. 
the, the guy, the owner's, you know, singing your praises, and guess what? What? He's got a leggy yacht being built. You know, you know something ridiculous, you know, 75 metres, 100 millions worth. So, um, so basically, uh, you know, what's going to happen when they come to, to, to back to the island? You know, that we're going to be working with, with that kind of level of boat. So it's building through, through doing the legwork. Yeah. Exactly. Pulling yourself away from, you know, Glastonbury. In fact, we're swimming. The weather's perfect, but the best. When the weather's perfect, Glastonbury is the best. So anyway, so through sacrifices, it's it's, it's done me massive favours for longevity. So, so yeah. So it's been an interesting ride, but but, but my company's been quite varied, too varied. So I've decided to bring it in a little bit. Um, for example, off the back of the film, um, there's a film critic in the UK called Mark Commode, lovely guy. He wanted to come to a beaver, gave it a great uh, review. And then um, he comes over with his family, look after him for a couple of days, blah, blah, blah. He calls me a week later, can you look after David Holmes? Now, David Holmes, I'm sure you know David Holmes, he's a producer and a composer and a scorer. He makes all the music for uh, The Ocean, 11, 12, 13. Um, numerous other films um, that he's done over the years. More, more recently, a film called Ordinary Love with Liam Neeson. Um, true story about his friend and his wife got breast cancer based in Belfast. So he come over and he, he said, look, I want to meet you for a beer. We've got talking. He said, look, I don't want any of your services, but can you get me a gig on the island? I'm like, well, David Holmes wants me to get a gig on the island. So within a week, we got something booked. We've done pikes one night. It's called uh, I Heard Wonders, like the name of a uh, piece of uh, album a few years back. Well, the track from one of his albums. Um, and uh, then we done, uh, that was a good night. That was a really good night. We had Alfredo playing before him. Um, and then we had uh, Ryan O'Gorman playing as well. And then we had uh, David Holmes playing Wicked Set. And then the next day, he done uh, Hospital Torre for the Sunset. Busiest time of the day they've ever had there. So. The idea this year was we were going to do uh, that once a month, Pikes and uh, Hospital de Torre, but everything's kind of changed a little bit, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's, that's an amazing story in itself, but I think once again, it's the fact that, you know, you, you were there at Glastonbury, but you still realised that, you, you know, you had to make that sacrifice in order to then do, do what was needed, really, because, you know, that's your business, but it's also... You know the the longevity that would build off of that because you know anyone in the right mind and any decent individual would appreciate the sacrifice that you've made there and 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 the commitment to to give them you know the best service and experience possible and that's the thing as well is when when you're consistent with the service you deliver it's it's the doors that it opens afterwards because that individual will then go away he'll then speak to someone else he or she and then say, you know, I, w- I went to Ibiza, this is the individual that looked after me, this is his business, couldn't recommend it enough. And, you know, it, it, it will it will pay dividends in future, but it, it's, like you say, it's sometimes those sacrifices where you thought, oh, I couldn't have fallen at a worse time, but sometimes that's just how it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, maybe if it was 20 years ago, I, I, I probably would have messed up, you know? I would have... Uh... I would have carried on staying in Glastonbury because obviously that was a more attractive situation given the circumstances. But 
you know, coming back to a beaver is never never really a bad thing, you know, being in Glastonbury. They're my two favourite places in the world, Glastonbury and Ibiza, so going back, coming back home was, wasn't so hard, it was just the circumstances. But, you know, what it is, is you've got to fight for business and, and, and you could just be dropped by a client for, for like that, you know. So you've got to try and hold on to them and the only way you do that is just go that extra mile. And people remember you for that extra mile stuff and then they recommend you because you've got to think, right, if you've got high-profile people recommending your, you, you and your services, like, you know, they're, they're putting their name on the line and then, and then as long as you deliver them, then, you know, who else does that lead to? I mean, you know, David Holmes, you know, he's, he's, he's friends with Stephen Sullivan, you know, the Hollywood director. You know, he's, he's friends with Brad Pitt and, you know, Matt Damon. Well, he doesn't boast about it, but where does it go from there? You know, is he at a barbecue, you know, one year and Stephen Sullivan says, oh, I think I'm going to a beef room. Can I do, can you put me up, uh, put me in contact with, you know? And that's what I have to do in that kind of regard is word of mouth business because... I can't compete on SEO, on, on, on Google, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you, you've got to do some of that for brand awareness. But, um, you know, it's it very much for me, it's networking. For example, I was over in, in Palmer, like literally the day before the lockdown happened. I very nearly got stuck in Palmer. I was at a charity, golf, golf event for a children's charity called Little, uh, Holy Jesus, I think it's called, for my friend Lucy. Uh, good friend of mine, Moosey, big shout out to him. And, um, you know, so doing a little bit with, 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 you know, networking at those kind of uh, yummy events as well, you know. And, um, yeah, you know, getting, getting involved with, with different activities and stuff. And, you know, once you get in front of someone, then you can break it down and, without being too salesy. That's the point. Don't be too salesy, you know. And don't be too personal, but... Be a little bit personal. Take it off the pitch. I know people that are some of the best hosts in the world. Yeah, some of the best hosts in the world. But they're perpetual salesmen. They don't know where to take it off the pitch. People not people don't want to be sold to anymore. This is an important point. People don't want to be sold to anymore. Take it off the pitch. Yeah, definitely. Where Where do you think in in terms of the, the the service you provide and and the fact that you've built those contacts do you think a lot of that has just come down to you being yourself and probably you know you make you make mistakes when you're younger and it's important to to learn from those and not beat yourself up too much work because like you say it, in terms of you know the, the investment and the fact there is so many other competitive brands that they might have more financial backing but if they don't know how to provide that bespoke tailored service then they not they may not be as successful so what what do you see that uh, maybe makes you stand out more than other people well say for example right, a lot of what i try and do is smooth transitions so if the client gets off the plane if it's a private jet or the normal a, a normal flight and uh, the driver's there to pick them up I'll make sure that I'm there to greet them as well. Yeah? So I'm there, not just the driver, they're there, they're there, they get to meet me, and I'll so follow them to the villa, check them in, and do the whole thing. And they they would have already had what we call a suggested itinerary of options to do during the week. So if they've got kids, it'd be kids' activities, boom, 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 loads of different things. And it's just purely suggestion. I think like, a lot of them just take it and just do their own thing, some of them come back and say, look, you know, I like what you've done here, we'd like to confirm 50% of it, the rest of it's not for us. No. So it's upsetting services, but massaging it in, 
to without being oh yeah we can do this 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 so slow down a little bit they've already taken the villa with you you know they're going to be there for that week you can highlight all of the stuff that they're into put it in one nice brochure so that adds value as well an island of knowledge um and for example if they want to go to the uh, to um to a club and they want a vip table i'll get there half an hour before them walk in say hello to the vip manager make sure that they're going to be happy with the, 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 the table location and if they're not i already know option a b and c for upgrade or option a b and c for downgrade so when they come it's just like the doors open and we just glide in because i've already prepped that without sounding uh you know uh, not boasting but it's just smooth transitions yeah don't the clients don't want to turn up in a luxury uh car show them to drive a car and then um driven car and then have to stand with 50 people trying to get in the club and go oh, and I'm like oh hello hello Mr. VIP manager no I've already been there already teed that up so we go straight in those are those are very important points I think and also I had a client a couple of years ago unfortunately we, we had a really dud villa that was you know the railing was loose sort of hidden stuff come to life within the day of being there and because I was there for them 24-7 and dealing with the issues, not just running away, then that went a long way for those clients as well, being, um, you know, responsible. And, and of course, I did my hands up to it. So, you know what, I just have to, the other the other house manager checked everything. I was told everything was okay, but my, what I should have done was checked on them. So I, I should never have assumed that they had done it, you know. So I learned a lesson there. So learning all the way along. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that. What makes, what makes me stand out for that is customer service, maybe, and also, um, also uh, connections. In terms of connections, I also leverage other people's people's contacts, and they don't have the infrastructure here or company to be able to service those contacts. Uh, clients, I, I will then take it and then give them a referral fee. So in in effect, I'm buying business as well. Yeah. That that's that's really good, and I think that that's really good points around you know the importance of you know organisation, you know the logistics, the structure, and then just also the fact that you know there is a lot of pressure on you know for for you to deliver and and, and make the experience as smooth, because obviously it being smooth is is part of it being enjoyable when you've you know you've got really wealthy clients like that. Um, you know they they do live a different kind of lifestyle. It's not that they think they're too good. It's just that if they pay for something, you know they they don't want to be st- stuck at the back of the queue with everybody else. Which is fair enough. You know if you if you pay for something, that's you know the kind of level of service you should expect. And I really like your point as well, where you said you know th- things don't always go to plan. Um, even you know when when you when you want them to or you think you've done everything, and you know the fact that you you know sometimes you you have to hold your hands up. But you don't just run away from the situation. You look at what you can do to resolve the problem and be there for the client as much as possible. So I think anyone who's listening, I think that's some really great points to take away there for anyone who's. I think it doesn't matter what business you're doing, to be honest, whether or not it's you know concierge or villas or rent. I think for for most businesses, those rules should apply if you're looking to be successful and have longevity. Yeah, you've got to take ownership for when 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 the the. The, the clue hits the fan, you've got to take ownership of it and try and um, try and you know, fight the fires and get it, get it sorted. Definitely. So just a, a few other points that I wanted to discuss further. So 
with you you know being a resident on on the island and, and being there for so long there's there's no arguments at all that you know the the island has changed drastically over the years whether or not that's the the, the lifestyle the I suppose the, the, the culture in some ways is still remain the same. I, I can't say the same as you because I've only been a handful of times you're a resident there. But issues that have been raised more around like the, the VIP culture that you were discussing there, um, you know, with there being more of um involvement with technology and, you know, the reliance on mobile phones, people maybe feeling like that magic has been taken away from the dance floor. What what do you feel as, as someone who's you know works on the island lives on the island? How do you think over the years from the late nineties till present day it's changed for the better and maybe for the for the worse in ways as well? Well, that's a very interesting point, and I always say to people that you know you've got before Christ Jesus, yeah, you got you got AD, and then before Christ, I call it before. Um, pre nine eleven, that's what I said. Pre nine eleven, so the world changed obviously a little bit for the for the worse, you know, because of the situation of nine eleven and the wars after that, yada yada yada, all that bad stuff. So before that, it was you know there was especially on this island there wasn't as many people as there as there is coming now. So you had less people and you had more madness, and I think that the, the, the authorities and the local tolerated it more then because it's kind of like oh, they're just down there doing their mad stuff, but, you know, it wasn't really affecting other people's lives. So you'd have 24-hour parties and go from Manu Mission, leave, leave privilege at like 10, 11 a.m. on the Tuesday, go down to space in a convoy of cars, party till 4 o'clock in the afternoon there, 4 or 6 o'clock. That used to close, go straight to Bora Bora, and then just went on and on and on. Some people went back to San Antonio, some people went back to the motel, the Manu Mission Motel in Jesus, in near Aviva Town. And um, it was just a little bit more wild, I would say. It was just a little bit more rustic and a little bit more crazy. The characters, the flamboyant characters, they're still around. You know, some of them have died off, unfortunately. Some of them have left the island. Um, and there was just flamboyant people around and just sort of like visually fantastic. Individual fashion as well, I always remember. You know, people have their own thing going on, which I like. Do you know what I mean? Um, Pre-phones the phone so I think someone commented on that DC ten post, not one not one phone in sight. Um look the island's still got the magic here. We'll always have the magic. Long before, long before we come here, long before us our era and long after we've gone it, the magic will always be here. So when I come back it drew me back like a magnet. It was like I was in Dubai and I was looking across the wall where it was like this beautiful girl going Hi, I'm still here. I'm still here waiting for you. What are you doing in the desert? <laughs> so I, I, um, I come home and for the magic, let's get back to the point, for the magic. And the island has changed in a big way, in a commercial way, with you know the birth of Ashwaya, um, space going, space closing by. That's another story. That was the last, last closing by. I was in there 17 hours. That was a, an epic time. And it was good to see that place through the years and obviously the curtain coming down with cold crops playing was amazing so the magic is here but i think that the birth of the vip culture has kind of um killed some of the vibe in the clubs look the vip areas that there people are dancing on the dance floor and everything then you've got a lot of people wanting to be in the vip area and it just kills the little bit of vibe but the 
clubs need it now. The clubs need it. But I think some clubs, I think like Pasha, the VIP area is almost 50% of the club. It's like, you know, 50 it's crazy. Because you can see why they do it, because they're making, you know, between three grand or two grand up to 40, 50, 60 grand, depending on what people are spending per night on one table. So, going back to your question, it's changed, but it's still the best place on earth for me. Uh, I've tried many other places. I don't, I don't disagree there, definitely. I mean, I've only been a handful of times, but that feeling when you get off the plane and when you go to DC 10 and you're in the garden and the plane flies over the top, there's there's nothing better in the entire world than that, I don't think. And I, I agree with what you're saying there about the VIP culture. Is You know, at the end of the day, if, if there's money to be made and people are willing to spend it, well, I'm sure we'd all do it. If we all owned a club like that, it's easy for a lot of us to say, well, I, I don't like the VIP culture. Let's be honest, if you owned that club and someone came to you and said, I will spend X amount of money, you wouldn't turn around and say, oh, well, I want a few more, you know, lower class punters on the dance floor. <laughs> if there's money to be made, then, you, then you'll make it. That That's just life. But... I think as well, you were saying that the important part is, is a lot of those clubs probably do need the, the VIP culture because of probably how, to an extent, the extortion at some of the DJ fees have become nowadays compared to probably your early 2000s when, you know, when you've got, I'm not, and I'm not targeting agents or managers um, specifically because I've, you know, I've dealt with a few that are absolutely amazing, but... I think that there is that link between some agents, managers, you know, the, the fees rock it up and it's almost like the only way to make that money back is through the VIP service to an extent. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, look, look, for example, like if you look at Ashwai, their break-even uh, number is, 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 is phenomenal in terms of, you know, like when they have uh, David Getter every, every week. Uh, you know, I, I heard on average he's, he's 250 grand now, maybe more. Um, so you know, they've got to make that. They've got to. They've got to make that. So I'm sure. I'm sure on a night like that, they're making at least half of that. Who knows in the VIP area? But they do have a big break even. They do do massive shows. Um, you know, hi. I've got to give it to hi. Uh, my friend Charlie. Charlie's the operations manager over there. He's a great guy. And um, his lovely uh, wife, Liz, she's the booking agent for both, uh, booking uh, agent for both uh, Ushuaia and Hyatt. And they've got a great programming over there. You've got to see the glitter box, phenomenal. Um, and, um, you know, you've got numerous other nights there. Uh, what was it? Eric Prides was one night. I popped in there. Not really my music, but it was good. I appreciated it. But um, loads of other nights in there, and, and I was impressed with it. When they when they refurbed it, I was impressed with what they'd done. It's not space, but space is gone. So you've got to move on, you know what I mean? We had the memories, it's time to move on. But for me, I pick and choose my moments now. You know, I still like DC10, obviously. Um, you know, Pasha from time to time. But uh, as I'm getting a little bit older, I'm kind of picking my moments in terms of black coffee. Thanks for that, whoever, whoever pops up. I can't think of the Saturday nights, amazing. So yes, yeah, so I've been, um, you know, I'm, I've been, when you live here, you've been here for a long time. 
you pick and choose your own. But I'm out in clubs a lot with clients, but not all the time. You know, sometimes I have a family, they want to do more stuff in the daytime. And sometimes they don't want me to be there the whole time, uh, with them the whole time, you know. And um, like this year's going to be different. I had, a, I had a word with a guy who's in the know, can't mention his name, key player on the island yesterday. And, um, you know, he was uh, with a couple of the big, big key players on the island, and the uh, rumour is that it might not be as bad as we originally thought. We might, it might mean that some of the clubs could be open, but limited numbers, and announcements will start coming out in the next week or two. And if it does happen, it'll be in August. I've heard rumours like, you know, DC10 might open for like, you know, 700 people when their capacity's like 3,000. But as we know, they cram about five in. I think yeah. that I think that's what might be nice as well is uh, like like you say I think uh, and it's not knocking DC ten you know um I've I've only been a handful of times but it's like when you look at it, what it was from when you were going there doing hand dog on the bar to to what it is now you know you likes of Circa Loco and I know Paradise has moved to Amnesia now but DC ten as a brand is is known worldwide you know it, it's famous for for how good it is as a venue with its sound system, with with the artists that it programs, but I think that that's part of the problem is you you can have limited capacity events, but when when you're trying to fit seven hundred people in the not in the booth, but like the backstage part of DC Ten alone, there's going to be a lot that will have to change. But I think the reset is definitely needed in a lot of parts of the industry to probably take that VIP culture away and take it back to really what it what it should be about first and foremost is about connecting on the dance floor and uniting together and not being like oh i'm i'm backstage so i'm better than you well i don't think you're you're better than anyone like just because you might be that side of the boob doesn't make you any better than someone who's on the dance floor Definitely. But um, just referring back to what we were discussing earlier on about your involvement with, with Manumission. So you've got legendary brands that have been on the island over the years. You know, your likes of Circa Loco are still going. What, what do you think it was that made Manumission such a legendary brand? Because obviously the term itself means to, is it to, to free free yourself from slavery? Something along those lines. That's how it's defined. So what... 
freedom from slavery. So, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they cornered the market in, in a golden era when, you know, they also, you know, it's phenomenal what it did, you know, the, 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 the shows, um, the performers, the DJs they had there, the scale of the venue, the legendary back room in the back room manumission, you couldn't be here. Back room in the morning with the sun come up over I'd beat the town, boom, you know, all the top DJs used to play in the back room and it used to go off in there from five in the morning onwards. Well, it was open all night, but everyone went in there about four or five in the morning. That's the place to be. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just think it was just it was just crazy. It was just uh, it was a flamboyant display of madness. There you go. <laughs> That's what it was, and um, and, and it held held the uh, the reins for, of the island in terms of the best party on the island for many years. Uh, you know, there wasn't as much competition then as well. There was always out there on their own anyway in terms of what they were doing. You know, it's it, uh, promoters from around are scared of trying to take on privilege, and they filmed it every single Monday night. In fact, it was in the Guinness Book of Records, I think. And I feel very privileged to have been in, involved in that, in that in that party, in that era, in that time, for sure. And, um, yeah, no, no, Benny Mission, fair play to us. I was with Mike and Claire only a couple of years ago when they were uh, over on the island for uh, uh, Claire's part in a V for the silent movie where she plays Tanit in the uh, Cobra Santa Cave. That's what I was talking about earlier when you cut off. So, um, yeah, so, so that film, did, a lot of it was filmed there. Not a lot of it, that scene. So Tanit is the goddess of the island, the goddess of fertility, and Bez was the god of dance. So we got, there was only, only one person for that role, Bez, from the Happy Monday. So he come over and shot, shot a little part in the, in the cake there. So Mike and Claire doing well. They've actually, she's been posting a lot recently, this last couple of weeks, like blogs about the Manny Mission Days Motel. Um, so... Hi Claire, hi Mike, if you're there listening. Quality. Yeah, so other than that, I know that you were discussing earlier on the relationships that you had with, you you still have with the likes of um, Norm, uh, Fatboy Slim, Jamiroquai and, you know, you've looked after some high-end clients. I appreciate some of the clients is, uh, you know, you're, you're bound to confidentiality, but um, who would you say are probably? I know it's not you can't pick favoritism because you probably built relationships with with quite a few of the clients you've looked after. But who would you say are like your top three clients where you where you you kind of you land it and then you think, oh my god, I can't believe I'm actually going to be looking after that individual. Like what are the ones that really blow you away? And you think this is pretty surreal. Yes, in terms of like the, the individuals you've looked after, I mean, like like you say, you you know you've looked uh, after yeah, uh, David yeah. Holmes and people like that. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen, that was a big one. Um, I looked after him uh, one year, um, and he was uh, he was actually a bit sick actually. So it was a big family gathering. There was all at Pasha on New Year's Eve. It was Leo at Pasha, and. Um, he just he was just feeling sick, so I ended up taking him home, picked up some lemsip on the way back home for him, we had a little chat and um and uh, got to know him got to know him and like intermittently because it's, I was I was sort of looking after him intermittently, got to know his wife, Serena, lovely lady, and uh, uh, the following year took his, his kids um to D C ten to them into D C ten 
Um, they had a great time. After an hour, I left them to it. And, uh, um, and then um, about, well, I think it was last year or the year before, I was walking through Pikes. I was talking to someone, I got a tap on the shoulder, it's bloody Roger Taylor. Just literally you know, about 10 weeks after they'd released the film, Bohemian um, Rhapsody film. And uh, he just said, you know, I've got to say thanks again for looking after my kids at DC10. And uh, yeah, then, then another time, I think his wife in the DC10, was seven of her mates, oh my God, it was, like, it was, it was hard work. It was hard work that night. My work was cut out. Can you imagine spending mad women running around different corners of DC10 as Ram in August? So, 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 yeah, so that was interesting. So, yeah, I've had some interesting times like that. Another interesting, so funny story with someone like Norman was... Um, when I was doing carpentry again, another little thing for my book is I was doing carpentry in this, uh, this naughty kids' home just on the outskirts of Bryant in 2010. And I'm really bad, that's really, really bad. Anyway, phone rings, it's normal, what do you answer? It's a bad day. He said, Can you get to Catholic Airport in three hours? Why is that? I'm going to Croatia and I'd be for a 48 hour round trip. Do you want to come? There's a spare seat on the Learjet. I'm like, Yes, let's go. <laughs> Amazing. So we we were discussing uh, before about the island in in general, like how it's been in the past. How do you see you whether it's the clubbing culture or businesses way of partying or living on the island? How do you see that potentially changing in a in a post COVID nineteen world? Um, 
Definitely. Do, do you see much changing though? I mean, um, like going going forward, or do you just feel like after this year things may just go back to not maybe the the, the norm that it was pre COVID nineteen, but do you think in terms of like the the VIP lifestyle and 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 everything else? Obviously, I know that some businesses, unfortunately, and unless you're able to adapt and evolve in a changing environment there are going to be some businesses that get left behind but i suppose it's appreciating at the same time that even if you are a really good businessman that some businesses with the virus just don't have the ability to change because if you're an indoor super club and they're only saying you can do outdoor events well that doesn't really leave you with with much to work with does it to be honest Definitely, I, I couldn't agree more with you there as well, especially the point around, you know, polluting your mind with so with social media. Because I get, you know, we're all we're all entitled to our own opinions and views, but, you know, sometimes the, there are things out of your control and it's not just about stepping back and just accepting it. But I think, like you say, especially with your area of work, you know, you do still have to be mindful of, about how you portray yourself on social media, whether you're a, you're a DJ, whether you're an agent a, a club owner or anything else i think you know it, it's still business it's still a working environment so you still have to be you know mindful of how you you portray yourself for sure and then the, the final question yeah. that i've that i've got for you I, I know that we were um 
kind of indirectly discussing it earlier on and, and you raised the point of you know if, if you're coming out to Ibiza you know that there's going to be jobs that you'll have to do that, that you maybe wouldn't want to have to do and you know maintaining integrity as well but what advice would you give to anyone who's potentially looking to to do a season or you know set up a business there whether or not it's doing um you know parties through a brand or um anything business related or even looking to move to the island permanently you know someone who's lived there for so long you know you've been successful with your with your businesses what advice would you give That, that's some quality advice there, mate. And then just before I let you go, um, I was speaking to a chap the other day. I've been speaking to him for a few months. You have to guess who it is, though. He said, do you remember the time in Base Bar when you stuck it on a naughty geezer and it almost went west? <laughs> No, it was it was Leo Gregory.
And so I was I was speaking to him the other day and I said to him that I had you on my podcast. Obviously, I know that you've looked after him personally. And yeah, he said, raise that one with, with Howard and see what his reaction is and see if he guesses who it is. But he said he sends his love and he's looking forward to seeing you back on the island, he uh, said to let you know. Yeah, no, I love you. All the best, Leo. If you're tuned in, looking forward to seeing you again soon. He's coming back to the island. We were talking the other day and uh, he's on his way back. Quality. Yeah, so he's been uh, awesome talking to you, Kurt. Yeah, same, same to you. Same to you, Howard. But thanks very much for your time and uh, take care. And I'm sure hopefully I'll bump into you at some point on the island. Yeah, well, I mean, call, call me up. I've been for a beer, maybe show you about a couple of places that you might not normally have seen. Ah, nice one, mate. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.